Greetings and welcome to Association Rockstars, where we hear about the journey and insights of amazing association executives and partners who are building the association industry of tomorrow. I'm your host, Lowell Applebaum, the CEO of Vistacova, where we provide facilitation partnership to organizations on strategy, visioning, and governance. And with me today is Adam Levy, CAE. Adam is the Executive Director of the American Cleft Palate Craniofacial Association. An experienced association executive and career nonprofit professional, Adam previously served as the Deputy and Interim Executive Director of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians and held roles at the National Restaurant Association and Smith Buckland, the world's largest association management company. He serves on the Board of Directors of the Association's Executives of North Carolina and the Small Staff Association's Advisory Committee of ASAE. Adam was a recipient of the Association Forms 40 Under 40 Award in 2022 and holds his CAE, which we always love, from the American Society of Association Executives. Adam is passionate about healthcare access and equity in addition to mentorship and leadership and is a mentor for the ASAE Young Professionals Committee. He holds a bachelor's degree in English education from Indiana University, completed the strategic leadership program at Northwestern University, a native Chicagoan and Michael Jordan devotee. Adam lives in Chapel Hill with his wife, Rachel, twin daughters, and their loving pit bull rescue dog, Mason. Adam, so happy to have you with us today. Great to be here, Lowell. Thank you for the uh, lovely introduction. I appreciate it. Well, we always like to start these conversations in a similar fashion. You know, those that we speak to, we're talking to you because that you are a leader of the industry and you have strengths that have helped you succeed in your career. Uh, so as someone who has little ones of their own, we often talk about strengths in my household as superpowers. So what is one of your superpowers that you've either gained over the years or was naturally born to you? Yeah, uh, this one's fun. And I've obviously uh, watched the, the you know, podcast of sorts before and heard what others have said. So it was fun to think about um, ahead of time a little bit. And the one that I came up with, it's interesting. It, it actually comes from my, my grandfather. Uh, his name was Phil. He lived to be 101 uh, until just a couple of years ago. Yeah, so talk about you know, perseverance. Uh, he, he was a disciplined guy. Uh, but he, he was the most sort of giving and altruistic human that I knew. And, and the thing that he taught me and, and a lot of others in our family and his friends was really just the power of optimism. So, you know, he lived through a lot in his hundred and one years, including some pretty rough times way back in the day. And um, the way that I sort of live because of everything I learned from him is the concept of sort of glass half full. Um, he used his, you know, power or his um, leverage, anything he had in his day to help others. So if that was owning a business, it'd be hiring minorities at a time when no one was hiring minorities. If it was family in trouble, it would be helping people with money because he had it and they didn't. So sort of learning all these lessons from him, um, he used to tell me all the time, uh, it could be worse. Mm. So that's, that's honestly sort of my, my superpower is, is sort of eternal optimism. I sort of look at everything that way. It could always be worse. Um, and I think that's, that really helps drive me, especially in this kind of mission-driven servant leadership role that, that I'm in and that we all do, um, and keeps me focused and grounded. Um, and, and it makes it so when things aren't going well, I kind of always remember why we're really here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really, I really loved that about him and taught me quite a bit. Remind me, how long have you been at the current organization? When did you start? Three years and a couple of weeks. So that makes me want to ask, because I figured that was the case. Uh, 
So you started just at sort of the, perhaps not the height of the pandemic, but certainly early heading towards it. Talk to me about the juxtaposition about starting at a new organization at a time of global pandemic yeah. uh, with your strength of optimism <laughs> and how and how those things interplayed into how you took on the role. You know, I think I recall meeting the board chair who, you know, who hired me, the, who was the president at the, at the time that I was hired. And she, she sort of made a, a, a funny comment to me, like, you really are like this in person, aren't you? And, um, you know, they had only met me via- I Zoom. think that's a compliment, but- It was a compliment, exactly. Yeah. It, was a, it was a compliment. And she's lovely and, 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 and great. Uh, yeah, I, I think um, that was my message coming in, was there's a lot to be optimistic about. And the work that we do here, and at the time it was, you know, the, the, the language was, you know, joining you and the work that you do, you know, I could see it clearly from the outside kind of coming in. Um, and I have littles at home and um, we've, we've benefited from the concept of team healthcare. Um, myself being, uh, my kids were in the NICU when they were born. So, you know, an array of occupational therapy, speech therapy, surgeons, nurses, you know, a little bit of everyone, pediatricians. Um, so, it felt natural to me to be optimistic about this idea of, you know, why this organization has existed for 80 years um, and with a lot, a lot ahead of us. So um, yeah, it was, it was really about getting the culture of the organization to be optimistic, to get the board re-engaged. Um, I felt like we needed a new strategic plan. We hired a guy, I don't know if you know him, his name's Lowell. Uh, he came in and uh, we, we really set out a path here and we've done a lot in the last, the last few years. So I'm really excited about where we are. You know, I'm really interested in what you just framed as getting the team to embrace optimism. You know, culture is yeah. such a, such a secret sauce of potential, uh, but it's also one of those things that it's a lot harder to measure on the bottom of a budget sheet. So as you think about how you were able to sort of get your team on board with a philosophy of optimism, either at this position or at previous positions, right? Like, how do you take that and help others see it, embrace it, right? To leverage it for the benefit of the organization and perhaps themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is finding people who who buy into the culture from the start. And then a lot of it is, you know, in my case, I inherited, um, you know, inherited, there were team members who were already there and wanting to make sure that they were uh, on board with that concept um, of optimism and, and growth and, um, you know, a great path ahead. I think uh, that was really where I started from day one. Uh, I think that had to be very, very clear. Uh, the other, the other item that was very clear was what I said to everyone, it's not my term, but it was decentralization. So it was the idea that in a small group, um, everyone had to not only buy in, but also own what they were really working on. It was a lot of responsibility to take on what we do in the smaller group in terms of the impact it has on our members or the patients and families that we serve. Um, I think really driving that impact home um, was really critical. Uh, and then really next to that, it was um, believing in people. Uh, that that work here at ACPA. Uh, so you know our whole staff is is just beyond fantastic. Um, I'm I'm honored to work with our whole crew every day. They shine. They are the epitome of you know surround yourself with people who are smarter than you, especially in in specific yeah. areas. Um, you know that's what really makes us um, tick. And so once we got there, combined with that concept of optimism, 
um, I think it was a pretty clear road ahead. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's why we are where we are. You know, I'm interested, you were talking about sort of the small staff aspect of there and your background, as we read, right, you were done work in National Restaurant Association. Not a small association. Not a small association. You, right, like Smith Buckland, not a small association management <laughs> company. Right. And and now you're at you're the ED of an organization that's considered a small how many total staff? We have seven. Seven. So seven. it's considered a small staff organization. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I would love just to hear in terms of philosophy, approach, practicality uh, of the potential impact for small staff organizations to make a difference and how you leverage resource to do so. Yes, not National Restaurant Association. Um, I think the biggest difference that I, you know, conceptualized or understood um, a little ways back was the idea of more of a corporate culture versus smaller entrepreneurial culture. Um, not that you kind of can't have both, but I think in our space and associations, there's a pretty clear distinction. Um, you know, National Restaurant, I worked in the Ed Foundation specifically, uh, which still was part of a large office in downtown Chicago. And, um, you know, it reminded me more of my days at Smith Buckland, which is again, a, an AMC, um, but you kind of function in the premise of a corporation serving within other associations. Um, I would say I didn't buy into what the associations did nearly as much as I did to the work that I was doing at those mm. associations. So like I had a blast playing, um, trade shows earlier on at Smith Buckland and, and kind of just getting to know these random industries of associations. Um, and then at National Restaurant, you know, again, kind of uh, the idea of the events that I was planning and who I got to work with and things like that were very exciting. Uh, and, and I had a blast doing them. It wasn't until I really stepped into the smaller groups and, and one stop in between uh, at a small nonprofit that I started to really buy in that concept of like, wow, we at this kind of small scale can impact the lives of so many people. And I think that's the epitome of, of groups like uh, where I'm at now, where I was at uh, last time at ACOEP. I mean, we're, I say it to people all the time, we're seven people, partners, contractors, obviously as well. Right. Um, you go to a meeting, I mean, even, even, even a scale like the ASAE annual meeting, you're impacting thousands of people who show up. You don't have a staff of 200 people running around doing all this, you, you plan well, um, and you're ready for, you know, creating that impact and then boom, there it is. So, so that to me is very special. Um, we do a ton of, of work with not a yeah. lot. Um, and if it weren't for groups like us, the hundreds of other small staff associations, you think about the industries, the professions, the careers, the continuing education credit, the advocacy, all of that, that goes into it would just not be in existence if it weren't for these small groups who are just cranking away with not a whole lot. Do you think, you know, for larger organizations, uh, not that people are staying at organizations for 50 years as much anymore, uh, but for larger organizations, the idea of seeing a career path, right? Seeing pathways for advancement is a little bit easier to see a trajectory. For a small staff organization, yes, uh, there, there's perhaps not, not as much trajectory within the organization because it's small staff. Yeah. Just wondering your reflections in terms of places of like learning and leadership development for association professionals and small staff. Yeah. Any thoughts you have on like how they develop that uh, and what it looks like to have a career there? 
So that's a fantastic question. Uh, I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, first, I would say taking that that hat from the larger organizations and bringing it over was really critical for me. So um, on the entrepreneurial side of things, I you know, was always going off or out going on and on about this idea of like, well, hey, just because we're not Google doesn't mean we can't do, you know, embody that same mindset of, of just doing and trying. So I think that same mindset went to, you know, call it HR. Um, so I reached out to former colleagues uh, who I worked with in some of these larger places. We developed core competencies. We developed a career path. We developed what it meant to be at different levels. The org chart is clear. Um, I think a lot of, um, time and effort went into that early on in my tenure here, um, but it was to set the basis that people would want to stay. Um, you know, we did have some turnover right when I started and before I had started. Uh, and, and one of my initial goals in year one, uh, like my specific executive director goals was to reduce turnover. So um, that meant, you know, go to town on what was causing turnover. And I think career path is probably the number one or two thing in terms of why people leave, I think not having opportunity or toxic team members is number two. Mm -hmm. um, so having those two things in mind, again, that goes back to the cultural element, but yes, making sure everyone understood I can stay here and have somewhere to go. That is my job and the board's job to make sure that we're creating a framework that allows people to do so. So again, that's me going to the board and saying, I don't care what you're telling me about budget. If we don't somehow come up with a way to change a little bit of what we do or sunset an old program, to put more funds into personnel, these people are going to leave. So it's again, it's convincing leadership, and then um, my purview that it's you know far more expensive and detrimental to the organization to have people leave than it is to find funds somewhere to keep them there. Mm. I love that philosophy. You know, the it's really unique and incredible to see the transition you've been able to make from a large organization mindset to a really effective and passionate small organization mindset and effective leadership. As you reflect on sort of your professional journey, are there any key moments of growth uh, or, or achievement that you experienced that really, as you think about like the years of your work experience that were pivotal, that stand out to you as important moments? So many. <laughs> um... Give me, give me one or two. Give me one I'll or two. To, I'll, try to, I'll try to limit it. Um, I would say, um, you know, I, my background was traditionally meeting planning. And um, for whatever reason, well, it was either for whatever reason or because I embraced it. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe it was the latter. Um, whenever I was exposed to leaders in other organizations or within my own, I, I took advantage of that. So um, that would mean at Smith Buckland, it, uh, I recall... I feel like I've probably told the story before, but um, Henry Gervais was the CEO when I was there. Um, and we had some big clients. Um, the, the, number, the, the first member that comes to mind with him actually was the Association for Corporate Growth, which is now a pretty large organization. Oh, yeah. They were at Smith Buckland when I was there as a managed company. So I sat next to Henry at a gal dinner and I just listened to him talk for like two hours, you know, or with him talking for two hours. And I just tuned in. You know, so I was like, hey, if I'm here, I'm going to sit. I don't know why he was sitting at the same table that I was, but it happened. Um, so it was moments like that. Um, National Restaurant, you know, I ran some, some interesting events and, and fundraisers and advocacy related things uh, with leaders in the food service industry. Um, so these were like CEOs or, or, or C-level people from like the big brands, the Cisco, Coke, Pepsi, Dunkin', you know, those groups, um, Don Sweeney, who was CEO of National Restaurant back then, um, you know, interacting with her and, and her team because of these high level 
attendees on the event side of things and the logistical side of things. So what did I do? I sat and I listened. Um, and I think, you know, those are some pretty pivotal moments where I really wanted to tune into what people were saying, how they were um, behaving, how they were, you know, going about their business, uh, what they expected from others, what I didn't like maybe about how some people handled mm. themselves or how they spoke to others, especially in positions of power. Um, and then the only other example I would say uh, is uh, uh, in my previous organization, um, COVID hit right before I had left to, to come here. And uh, I was in a position of, of high responsibility in a, in a group of emergency physicians. Yeah. And, and the concept of responsibility really hit me hard there. Uh, because we were on calls with CDC and NIH and the army and all these different groups like that. And um, again, it just felt like this moment of if no one else is going to do it, then I suppose I should probably do it. Um, you know, this is a, this is a pretty pivotal item. So yeah, just embracing opportunity when it came and, and trying to do it the right way. So you think about and reflect upon as we've emerged from at least the onset of the early 2020s, and you think about the leadership that the association profession needs in the coming years. Are there any specific skill sets or strengths that you think the next generation of leaders and rock stars are going to really need to succeed, uh, knowing that the, the times were moving into a more turbulent than ever? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I, I do, you know, serve as a mentor on, on YPAC through ASAE, and um, I've, yeah. been, I've been happy to I've tried to reciprocate the dozens of meetings or calls where I, you know, I've reached out to somebody and said, Hey, can I have 10 minutes? I have a few questions, you know, other CEOs or EDs and making sure that if somebody does the same for me, that I'm here the same way. So I feel like in listening to a lot of the concerns and, and what's going on, um, there's, there's a sense of, of restlessness, I think, that I hear quite a bit. Um, I think for younger, or as we like to say, newer in practice, newer professionals, to take the age out of things. Um, for, for newer in the association world professionals, it's the idea that um, coming out of COVID has been difficult to really maybe fully embrace the association model and understand how special it is, uh, whether you're remote or in person. I, I truly don't believe that makes a huge difference. I think it's more um, just the uncertainty of the world and trying to understand how servant leadership can be a really meaningful career. So, uh, you know, for me, it's anybody who's in this already, it sort of feels like it's our job to make sure people are aware of why this is a really special place. It also is a great industry to amplify and to ally with people who don't always have the same opportunities in other areas. And we've seen it at ASAE last week, you know, the number of different organizations that have sprung up um, to help amplify those voices and put people in positions of power, meaning um, you know, get more women in the C-suite, get more, you know, minorities in the C-suite, um, work for organizations with strong DEI policies. I mean, these are things that, again, as associations, you have the power to impact thousands of people with very small resources. So again, getting newer people in this industry to buy into that and to be a little less worried about that, a little less restless and instead see sort of what the future holds, um, I think is really my prerogative in terms of when I'm mentoring or or talking to anybody about the opportunity in front of them. You know, I'll say in, there's so many uh, insights in what you just said, but uh, one thing that just resonated loud with me is servant leadership as career, right? Doesn't doesn't have to be a deficit. It actually is how we build, right? It's how no. we build a better world. Uh, and, and hopefully 
we can find success. I mean, I think many do find success. Yeah. And, and look, real quick with that, I, I learned early on in the hard way, maybe this goes back to your other question. Uh, you know, uh, back when I started, the word nonprofit, you know, really alluded to this idea of like living in a, a one bedroom basement unit, you know, in downtown Chicago, um, you know, like my former life, you, you, you couldn't really make a career out of it. You couldn't make any money. You couldn't be happy, but you felt good about helping, you know, people. And I, I learned pretty early on that that didn't feel very good. Um, yeah. <laughs> I liked helping people, but I didn't like not enjoying my life and, and, and living my own life as well and taking care of myself. So again, I think we've come to a point where you can be in this idea and this position of servant leadership. You can do for others, but you can also make a career out of it and you can enjoy it and you can thrive within it. Yeah. Well, it's clear that you are thriving and uh, your example in your leadership and your giving back is helping drive the community. Uh, we always we always close out with a similar question, which is far, far, far in the future. What is the legacy you hope to leave behind in our association community? It's flown by. Oh, wow. Uh, I could, I really, I could talk to you all day. I know you'd get sick of me. Um, Not at all. My, my legacy, uh, I would say it's simply based on, it's easy because it's what I do every day. It's I want to see the people who, you know, I work with, um, who work, you know, um, at our organizations, reach the goals that they set out. And, and if that means that they move elsewhere, be, because that's what's next, I've helped them do that. If they want to stay, all the better. Uh, but again, it's making sure that they're happy and that they have the future, you know, laid out in front of them. Um, I think when I look around and I see anybody who's succeeding, who I've mentored or managed or anything like that, you know, it, it, that's, that's it for me. I, it was actually at an ASA meeting one year. Um, somebody had a quote that was something like, you know, in leadership, your job is to like learn the role, train your replacement, and then leave. Um, and, and, you know, I don't look at it that kind of um, tersely, but, you know, that's my job is to, is to run the association well, make an impact on the lives of patients and families, and make sure that our staff, um, you know, rockets into the future, whether it's here or elsewhere. So that's, that's without a doubt what I hope to look back on it and see. Well, I look forward to seeing how far that rocket goes. Uh, it's been a pleasure to have you uh, with me and with us today. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. Of course. Thank you for having me. I appreciate and it. As always, thank you to Amy Hager, who's been on all the interwebs chatting with y'all uh, and making the magic happen here. And thanks to all of you uh, for tuning in and listening and learning together as we build a better association community. Until next time, association. Mm -hmm.